0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director at the companion nonprofit organizations Energy Makes America Great, Inc., and the Citizens' Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week through this show, America's Voice for Energy, I have the opportunity to interview the various experts who helped me with my column that week. This week's column was particularly fun for me to write. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The title is, The Pipelines Approved, Environmentalists Are Angry. And this story came about because last week I was speaking in San Diego for the SIPES annual meeting, and SIPES stands for Society of Independent Professional Earth Scientists. It was a relatively small group, about 50 people, mostly men. But while I was there, I kept noticing that across the street at the convention center were lots and lots of guys. And they had union shirts on. And these shirts said United Association. Some of them said something about pipe fitters. And it dawned on me, my brain was like ding, 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 I know someone who's with the U.A., and I couldn't remember his name. You know, out of context, I couldn't remember his name. But I remembered he'd been on the radio show here with us before on America's Voice for Energy talking about the Keystone Pipeline. So I went to the archives uh, at, at americaswebradio.com, went through them, and I found his name. and I was like, yes, Dave Barnett, Dave Barnett, Pipeline Representative for the United Association of Journeymen and Apprentices of the Plumbing and Pipe Fitting Industry. No wonder they just go by United Association <laughs> or UA. Once I had a name, I went through my phone directory, you know, to see, could I find them? Couldn't find them there. So I went to the United Association website and just called the generic number there. Lo and behold, they forwarded me to Dave's office, and the nice person who answered to the phone said, he's out of town. And I said, any chance he's in San Diego? They said, yes, he is. So long story short, I tracked him down, and uh, we, I met with him and some others uh, one evening while we were both in San Diego, and Dave and I had never met before, so it was a big treat uh, to get to meet him. And now he's with us today to be my first guest on America's Voice for Energy. So, Dave, thanks for your patience in letting me give you that long introduction, but really it was such a treat for me to meet you.
2: Well, thank you, Marita. It was a treat for me also and uh, uh, we had a lot to talk about, you know uh, in a short period of time there because there are so there is so much going on in politics and energy and pipelines that uh, well, there's plenty to talk about
1: yeah, well, you know it's kind of a fluke because just that day, and of course, I blame it on God, but it was some might say it was coincidence but that very day, I had received an email from a group that I don't really get emails from. Actually, it had been forwarded to me, and it had a lot of energy news items in. and it. it was from the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, and it had to do with what I wrote on last week on on the renewable uh, fuel standard. And this email, I, I skimmed through it, and it announced what I had written was in this email, which is why someone had forwarded it to me. But in it was a thing about this pipeline being approved. So when you and I met, I asked you about it, and that was the first I had heard about the Dakota Access Pipeline, and that became my column for this week, which, by the way, on the Internet is quite popular.
2: Yeah, I saw that, and and that's a a good thing. You know, this Dakota Access, and, and you bring up a good point, it was just approved, but we have been working... On uh, testimony uh, and, and filings and showing up to public hearings for over a year and a half now to get it to this point to where it's actually approved, and now our members are up there working and constructing a quality pipeline for the nation's infrastructure to, to transport the oil out of the out of the Bakken, which is much needed. I mean, as you uh, know, being in energy, rail has been the only way to get a lot of that oil out of there, and it's not the best way. and So we're pushing hard for pipelines, safe pipelines, new pipelines to carry that investment to market.
1: Yeah, and when you and I talked, you told me that there are many other pipelines in the works. And, you know, the way my column penciled out, I didn't even have the opportunity to put those names in there or anything, but I just put in that there are, you know, there are other other pipelines. This is not the only one. It's just one of many pipeline projects in the works. Uh, and, and this is really, these pipelines provide a lot of economic stimulus to the communities that they go through.
2: Absolutely. We've got uh, that Dakota Access that we're discussing. Right now we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 900-plus of our members up there uh, scattered across Illinois, Iowa, uh, South Dakota, and North Dakota constructing uh, for energy transfer and to the tune of, just for our members, uh, over $3.5 million in payroll per week. Really? Wow,
1: that's, that's a startling number. You know, when I wrote the column, and I hope people could, could read this, it's almost between the lines, but during the Keystone Pipeline fight, which you and I were both engaged in, during that fight, the antis would uh, be very dismissive of the numbers of potential economic impact and potential job creation. And they'd say, oh, well, those are just temporary jobs, or those are inflated numbers. But um, Terry ann Gutierrez, who's going to be our final guest today on America's Voice for Energy, when I talked to her, she owns a campground in Illinois in an area that's been really hit hard economically. And she told me all about how great this is for her whole community, not just for her business, but uh, and so I, I put that in, and I hope that people see that you know, wow, this really does. Here's here's kind of a, a, a true life story uh, that could have been
2: the Keystone Pipeline. And and that's a good point. And and you know, you can take her story and magnify a hundred plus times across the length of this project because they're out there all up and down the project, uh, receiving the stimulus from the workers who have to spend a, a portion of their paycheck. For daily living, and you know they're they're out of state. Some of them, some of them are local, um, but a majority of that that money gets dispersed through the community because it's not cheap to live away from home. You spend a lot of money doing that, and uh, you know that's that's the important thing to me. And I try to get across when I'm testifying on these projects. It involves real people. There are real individuals out there receiving benefit from this, and to say the least, the nation receiving the benefit of having our own oil produced. Look at the drillers. Look at the other end of it that have profited before we ever built the pipeline to use America's energy. And I tell you, it gets lost in all of the hoopla that, uh, you know, it's temporary jobs and everything else. But, no, these are real people, and that's how they make their living, and it's one temporary job after another, and, and uh, you know, we're proud to do it. It's, it's the work we do.
1: Yeah, and from what I, what this uh, Terri-Ann Guterres told me uh, when I talked to her in preparation for my column, uh, what she told me was that, you know, these people, and this was new to me, I'm sure you're familiar with it, Dave, but she told me these people, this they're used to this. This is how they live. They've got, you know, the husband and the wife and the kid and they're in the motor home and they're all set up and, and they're totally accustomed to this and they do this job and they'll stay with her while they're in that working on that area and then they move on.
2: Absolutely, and I don't know if you and I had discussed it or not, Maria, but for 30 years of my career, that's how I made my living, following pipelines. Rent. No,
1: I didn't know that.
2: Oh, yeah, I've owned those those uh, travel trailers and motorhomes and, and lived half the year in them wherever the work you know, was performed, and I know that life very well, and uh, it's a good life. It's an honest life, and people can make a decent living to where, when they go back home, they can live with a standard that's far and above what they could ever scratch from where they live. That's just the way it is. And that's why they do it. Yeah. That's why they do it. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's it, you know, it's middle-class earnings. It really is.
1: Well, I mean, they're good middle-class earnings. These are good-paying jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, you know, and and as you said, there's all the, the surrounding community that benefits as well with, you know, the waitresses and and hotels and other other industry that benefits equally.
2: Yes. And, you know, and he, here's something that's interesting, or I always thought that was interesting. I've been in more than one town around the country that was on the brink of, of just going under. N- no economic stimulus in those rural communities at all. And a pipeline would come through and The the merchants were so happy that they'd throw us a party. The whole town would throw the Pipeliners a party. Really? Main Street. Burlington, Colorado comes to the top of my mind. I remember that. Uh, We moved in there, and there was just no economy. You know, they're too far out of Denver to really uh, be able to benefit from that economy. And when we moved in there, I mean, all of the stores in town were just thriving, and they were tickled. I mean, it, it is. It's real stories to go with these projects.
1: Dave, how can we get that message out there? I mean, obviously, my little column, it's on some major websites, but it's not that big. How can we get people to understand how important this is? Because as you told me, there's like five other pipeline projects that are in the
2: permitting process right now. Well, I think we just have to keep telling our story because it's a good story to tell. And, uh, you know, it I, I don't think it gets the uh, ratings that the negativity that we read about. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and believe me, the the opposing side to these pipelines uh, are much less than truthful with a lot of the things they come out with, and and they do that to do exactly what they achieve, and that is to get the headlines. And so you take two headlines where I'm talking out there talking about good jobs for hardworking people. Well, that's a good story, but when they put their twist on the negative end of it and come off the wall with something that's unfounded. Uh, that's usually what goes. But in.
1: dramatic, unfounded, it, it gets, but dramatic.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as, as a press reporter told me one time, you know, if it bleeds, it reads. And so, uh, you know, I think that's the the idea they go on. I'm, we're doing, going to have to figure out how to make our uh, story a little more uh, interesting, I guess, without uh, stretching the truth. Yeah, <laughs> well, we've have...
1: got a we've got about a minute and a half left, Dave. What are some of the other pipeline projects that are in the permitting process right now?
2: Well, we have, uh, as we speak, uh, three meetings this week, two meetings next week across Pennsylvania with the Department of Environmental Quality for the Mariner East 2 project. That's a 350-mile 20-inch that's committed to be done all union. Um, It will come out of Ohio and go into Philadelphia. Um, So that should be decided real quick. I think this is the last round of meetings on that. Rover has just given their preliminary uh, approval for the rover project, uh, FERC has given their approval for the rover project, and uh, so I look to be building that project, if not late this fall, first of next year, and that's 800 miles, total mileage of various sizes of pipe, to get some of that Marcellus gas out of there and across Ohio and into Michigan, so you know, we major um, ones. Uh, Sabelle Trail down south, uh, that's a natural gas to feed into Florida coming out of Alabama and Georgia. Um, It's real close to getting the approval after court dates and and, uh, comment periods that are uh, too numerous to mention. I think we're finally close to possibly getting the final permits to go on that. So they're large, large projects that take lots of folks.
1: Are are there enough skilled laborers, and I'm down to about 30 seconds, but are there enough skilled workers to do all these projects?
2: Yeah, and we have programs in place through our apprenticeship training that guarantees that we've got folks coming online. And and here's the other deal. We're out there recruiting all the time from from the other side trying to get qualified people to come on board with us, you know, and see the benefits that we have. I mean, we're all about organizing. We're all about uh, meeting the need. We have not run into any issues yet uh, where we've had a manpower problem, and I don't foresee that because we're going to do whatever it takes to man these projects with skilled labor.
1: Well, we're out of time. I wish we had more time to talk. I always appreciate talking to you, Dave Barnett, Pipeline Representative for uh, the United Association of Pipe Fitters who are building these pipes across America. Thanks for what you and your guys do for America. Thank you for what you do, Marina. Thank you, Dave. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org.
3: 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you.
4: Passport Transport.
5: This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine, understand Obamacare, and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy.
1: I'm Marita Noon, and in this segment, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show Representative Kevin Kramer, the congressman at large for the state of of North Dakota. And of course, North Dakota is benefiting greatly from the new Dakota Access Pipeline. So Congressman, thanks for joining us. It's good to have you with us again.
3: Thank you for the opportunity. It's always good to be with you.
1: Well, I know that you love to talk energy, and of course you love North Dakota, so this is the perfect topic for you. T- tell us to start off with you know, kind of where did this pipeline come from? I, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't find out about it until last week, and I think I'm pretty well connected uh, to what's going on. And I got email, when I sent my column out earlier this week to my list of 5,000-plus people, I've gotten numerous emails back from people saying, wow, I didn't know anything about this. So it's kind of, I think it's, was it, was it did they want to keep it a secret? Well, I don't know. I don't think they necessarily
3: wanted to keep it a secret, although um, based on what they are going through and what they have gone through, there's probably a pretty good case to be made for flying under the radar if you're the a, a pipeline, an oil pipeline in this country. Um, although the Dakota Access has been in the works quite, for quite some time. However, I think the reason you probably haven't heard a lot about it is because it's been overshadowed, of course, by the, the, the big sexy political topic in pipelines being the Keystone XL pipeline and then there were some other pipelines that were sort of precursors to Dakota access um, namely that one that's called the, um, uh, the, the there was one called the, the uh, Edinbridge pipeline of course is the legacy pipeline here and they they've had the one that's' um, it's, I'm escaping me right now but it's like the of course uh, another Dakota pipeline that's major pipeline that goes west to east um enbridge is like i said they've been here for over 50 years in north dakota they have they have pipelines that take uh dakota north dakota crude to the, the industrial midwest clearbrook uh minnesota where it then gets distributed to other places they have they have pipelines that go north into canada and across and so as they look at uh, this, the sandpiper is the the name I was looking for, the sandpiper. The yeah, major pipe I read about Dakota sandpiper in Minnesota. See, so some of those earlier versions of, of Bach and crude pipelines um, sort of dominated, if you will, the headlines and the attention. While the Dakota Access came along a bit a little bit later and a, a series of ownership and now I, interestingly, and maybe somewhat ironically, companies like Enbridge are buying into the Dakota Access pipeline. And uh, whether or not there's room for all of these pipelines uh, Dakota Access is the one that got all the permits, uh, finally, and, and the certificates, and it's under construction. And so, you know, it's a, it's a pretty significant pipeline with a pretty important route that provides tremendous efficient access for Bakken and to multiple markets.
1: Well, obviously, you're the congressman from North Dakota, so how do you see this pipeline uh, impacting your state? And I ask that because, you know, during the whole Keystone discussion, the the antis would say, "Oh well, those job numbers are inflated. That economic impact is inflated." And One of the things that I saw, as I did research for my column, and that I kind of hope is in my column, maybe subliminally, is kind of like, "Nanner, nanner! Look at all the jobs. Look at look at what's happening. Look at you know this the the, the people that I talked to were so enthusiastic about the economic development."
3: Well, it's so interesting because that, you're right that that part of the argument. Um, I had to fight that all the time with the Keystone XL pipeline. But Maria, there's a, a few things I'd, I'd highlight. One is, it, 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 building a pipeline does, in fact, employ thousands of people. Not just the pipeline itself, not just the excavator, which is a, you know those are great jobs. Not just the the, the pipe, the pipeliners themselves, which are great jobs. The, the people that do the welding, which is, by the way, as much an art form as it is a as a as it is a you know, construction skill. It's a remarkable thing. You have that, but you also have the entire supply chain. Let's not forget the steel industry that, that makes the steel that then makes the pipe that, that you know the the finance ears in in various parts of the country. The concrete, the aggregate, um, transportation,
1: and and the Realty. tractors like, like Caterpillar, who's I know stock wise been really hurt by the drop in oil prices because no of the, the you know. So that's that's their their equipment is, is committed to this cause, right? So,
3: you know, when any, whenever somebody says, well, a pipeline is, those are just temporary jobs, I always say, so was building my house. But the construction company, the, the carpenters and whatnot that built my house are building other people's houses now. And I think this is one of the maybe understated things about infrastructure development. We have a tremendous infrastructure demand in our country for transportation infrastructure, roads, bridges, of course, interstate highways, um, you know, railroads and pipelines buildings and pipelines right and these are skills that are going to be lost if we don't keep building it out but but all of that in my mind is important as it is and the services that support it hotels restaurants bars hardware stores all of that pales by comparison to the real economic benefit of, of again domestic food, uh, production and the efficiency of it, let's not forget, we are not in a high oil price market right now, and margins are thin, and, and every bit of margin that can be found in the efficiency of trans- the transportation infrastructure, that benefits the overall economy. So uh, I just can't tell you how important uh, a pipeline is, especially as large as this. I mean, we're talking about you know, 30 inches, we're talking about 470,000 barrels of oil per day, out of North Dakota, um, you know, on this one pipeline that then gets distributed other places once it gets to places like Patoka, Illinois, um, you get a better price when you have a highly dispatchable transportation system and, you you know, you're selling to willing buyers and it can go multiple places. So everything works better with a pipeline.
1: Yeah, you know, and an interesting side note, and I threw this in in like a half a sentence in my column, I spoke... A year, year and a half ago, I don't recall exactly, I believe the name of the group was the American Agra women uh-huh. And these women, this conference that I spoke for, uh, they told me that they have soybeans, for example, rotting in silos because they cannot get their product to market because the rail space is all tied up with oil cars.
3: Well, and, and, and rail is an important component in our transportation infrastructure of all kinds of products, but you, as you you know, know, you can't move grain by rail, or I mean by pipeline. You cannot right. move corn by pipeline, or and so so, that's that's true. Although I also have to give tremendous credit, especially to the BNSF, they built out an infrastructure in North Dakota from North Dakota to Chicago all the way to the Pacific Northwest over the last few years to make room for more for more trains and the, the net result of that has been an even more robust rail transportation infrastructure that benefits everybody but to the point there's no question that this frees up a lot of rail capacity which will move other products to market faster but the other thing you have to remember and this should warm the hearts of every environmentalist listening it is a fraction of the carbon emissions in a pipeline as there is in a in a train or or on trucks, and so you're just helping everybody along the supply chain, including the environment, by moving more oil by rail.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely is the better way to go. I mean, the reality is, as you and I know, is they want to block fossil fuel extraction in any way they can, and using scare tactics about fracking or using scare tactics about a pipeline is just one of their methods.
3: Well, I worry, frankly, a lot about the various ways that, that the fossil fuel industry can be attacked, and the transportation system is a is a very vulnerable one because it's not clearly understood by a lot of people. It's something we sort of take for granted, and so right. uh, you you know whether it's a simple river crossing someplace, whether it's uh, you know uh, some tor- some sort of it's you know forest or whatever the case might be, um, you know there's always an indigenous um, you know, tribe somewhere that's got kind of a concern. Now, I, I will tell you that um, all of those issues are, are taken care of in the Dakota Access Pipeline. I worked very closely with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on their permitting process, making sure that they did all the appropriate environmental assessments and, and fulfilled NEPA requirements and all those things, including tribal consultations. So all of those T's have been crossed and I's have been dotted, and that doesn't mean everybody's satisfied course but as far as the the you know the care that goes into ensuring that, that everything's done done right and done well the Corps of Engineers has uh, they've definitely been thorough in the process
1: yeah it's good that to, to, to hear you say that to know that that has been done and obviously it wouldn't have been approved if that hadn't been done
3: well that's right and not only would it not have been approved and Marina you know just in my time and I, I carried the pipeline portfolio on the North Dakota Public Service Commission um, for nearly ten years, so I've cited a lot of pipelines, and and during that that time, it's gotten more and more rigorous. Um, the, the environmental groups have gotten more and more clever, uh, and that's forced the the federal um, overseers and, and the regulators to be more thorough on their end because not only do they want to make sure it gets approved and that everything's proper, but they're also want, they also want to make sure that that, that it's um, Lawyer proof. <laughs> so, well, you know, that litigation, the worst thing that can happen is, you know, that, that if something gets done, get approved, and then get litigated. And so, believe me, uh, this has been one very thorough process.
1: Well, I assume that in this day and age, you just kind of count on litigation happening.
3: Well, you, you do, but you also want to mitigate the uh, the outcome of it as best you can, and so um, we get very frustrated. I get very frustrated oftentimes with bureaucracy. But at the end of the day, if a permit or a certification ensures, uh, for the most part, that that uh, you know a a law firm someplace who specializes in, in finding victims um, doesn't doesn't become a menace. Uh, I, I, that's I, I'm willing, I always say it's better to get it done right than to get it done quickly, and I think in this case,
1: it's more right
3: than it's fast, but at least uh, we're on our way.
1: Yeah. We just have about a minute and a half left, well, two and a half minutes left, and I want to go back to what you're talking about in the su- supply chain. I just want to throw something out here. My closing guest is going to be Terri Ann Gutierrez, who's a name I ran across in my research. She owns an RV park in Illinois, not in your yeah, state, sure. but it's sure. full of people working on the pipeline, and she mm-hmm. talked to me about you know, you talk about these infrastructure jobs and them being temporary. And she said, these people, this is how they live. They show up in their RVs. They've got their family. They've got the wives. They've got the kids. This is what they do. And when they're done here, they move on to the next project. Have you observed that?
3: Oh, I listen, I, I knew every inch of the Keystone XL pipeline through 600 landowners land in North, in North Dakota when I sighted it. I met the crews. They had two different crews. I met them. I... I that's exactly what what I experienced. And here's the neat thing, Maria, these jobs occur not in urban centers. They occur in rural parts of our country that badly need the opportunities. So you take a, whether it's a bar, a, a, a restaurant, a hotel, a hardware store, a grocery store in these rural communities, in some cases, uh, the building of a pipeline can save the, save a, a, an entire town. Not only that, but here's the, here's the other thing I think is really important. Um, Last year, the Keystone XL Pipeline, TransCanada, paid $11 million in property taxes in North Dakota alone to rural counties and school districts. That is property tax relief for landowners. And that number only goes up. That does, that's not a number that goes down. So, you know, you think about rural economies that, that aren't necessarily benefiting from, um, directly from the oil industry this is, these are rural economies that, but but for the oil industry, wouldn't you know they'd be, they'd have to raise taxes or, or do with less in terms of education funding and and uh, you know infrastructure funding in their counties. So there is a lot of upside economically to uh, to a community, a county, and a state as well as a nation. Yeah.
1: Well, we are out of time, Representative Kevin Kramer. Thanks for joining us today to talk about the benefit to North Dakota of the Dakota Access Pipeline. We appreciate your time today on America's pleasure, Voice uh, for Energy. Pleasure
3: is always mine. Thanks for thanks for being America's Voice. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, and we'll be right You're back. Good. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org.
5: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month, and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
0: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets
3: lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your constitution, then join Michael Conley every
0: Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Today we're talking about pipelines and specifically their importance in the energy infrastructure but also to the economy as they provide a lot of jobs through the regions where they're being built. And to talk to us about that today, I'm glad to welcome back to America's Voice for Energy Toby Mack, who is the President and CEO of the Energy Equipment and Infrastructure Alliance. Toby, it's great to have you back with us on America's Voice for Energy.
4: Thank you, Marita. It's my pleasure.
1: You know, we talk about, we've been talking about this pipeline, this new pipeline, Dakota Access. And it's interesting, most people are totally unaware of this pipeline, and I've had a hard time getting any of the pipeline workers uh, to talk to me on the show because I understand that they have somewhat of a gag order. And I wonder if the reason that this pipeline has not gotten much attention and why, frankly, I've not gotten much help from the company that's manufacturing, not manufacturing, but who's behind the pipeline, is because they want to maybe stay under the radar due to in- attacks and opposition from environmentalists. What do you think?
4: Um, I don't know if that's the reason, Marita. Uh, I do know that um, that there is a lot of opposition, and any voice that is from a stakeholder uh, a worker a small business along the route a supplier of uh, equipment uh, or materials or uh, construction services uh, such as earth moving and so forth they all have a strong interest in uh, the project going forward and so I, I don't think that um, that that's the reason what I think might be the reason that you occasionally encounter um, you know lack of contact is that People are so busy running and managing their businesses uh, and, you know, creating value in the markets that they serve that they, they're not really accustomed um, kind of to speaking out politically. And so sometimes people aren't comfortable doing it or they're just too busy. So I, I think that's more the dynamic than, than people don't want to, you know, put a target on their back or get their head up above the trench.
1: Well, I guess that's why what you do and what I do exists.
4: Because we well, I hope that's so what quickly. we're doing. Yes, and in, yes, indeed, I agree.
1: Yeah, we definitely can have a voice out there when others when others cannot. But we've seen on this Dakota Access Pipeline, we have seen a, a, a even though most of the public, I and mean, as I've sent it out uh, to my list of more than five thousand people that I send my column to every week, I've had many comment back. I hadn't heard of this. Didn't know anything about this. This is good news, and uh, so I think that. This pipeline has been definitely under the radar, but we've seen uh, environmental attacks on it uh, have been very present.
4: Uh, We've seen a lot of opposition to it. As a matter of fact, there was a really heinous um, arson attack on some of the equipment that was being used um, on the project in Iowa. Uh, They did over a million dollars worth of damage to um, a couple of pieces of construction machinery that... That uh, you know are used to um, to excavate and move dirt on the project, but but it's more than that. And I don't want to characterize the opposition as being um, you know as being um, violent and um, an extreme in a lot of cases. But uh, folks that, that are that are opposing these projects, and it's not just that one. It's you know throughout the country, any project that's being proposed, uh, the real motivation for the folks. That are really behind the opposition is they are in what they call what we call the keep it in the ground movement, and yes. they have yes. they have very clearly understood that if you can uh, stop pipeline infrastructure uh, from being created and pipeline transport capacity, uh, then it um, then it becomes uh, difficult to produce and difficult to consume, you know, at either ends of the pipeline. So, uh, so that's I think that's the real the real agenda, and um, and, and, and that's a, a very silly, I think, um, uh, way to look at it because, in fact, uh, pipeline infrastructure is the safest by far and the most economical by far means of transporting, you know, any uh, kind of um, um, uh, petroleum or petroleum liquids or natural gas uh, through the distribution system, and the economy is utterly dependent on, um, you, know, on a, uh, you know, an adequate and economical uh, supply of this stuff. And so the opposition targets it because they're trying to uh, uh, convince somebody or people or the public that, uh, that we really should be not be running the country on anything but wind and solar and hydro. Now, we, we think that those are good forms of energy, but they should be competing with other forms in the marketplace on an equal footing and uh, And that we really need all forms of energy to operate the economy, so you know we're not opposed to those forms of energy but but we think that uh, that that supply and demand decides uh, what form is best
1: yeah, and that's what you know what is we've got going on in North Dakota we've got this abundance of oil and it's currently being transported by train for the most part and uh, so we've got um, a much less safe form of transportation.
4: Well, and I think the real issue, because you know, trains also have a pretty good rec- safety record, and that, that it's getting better because standards are being uh, implemented that uh, provide for safer uh, rail cars, that that provide for you know um, you know routing that avoids population centers, that provide for you know kind of a slowdown and. Um, in, in the in the train speeds and the throughput, but really, it's, it's really more of a matter of economics because, of, and these aren't exact numbers, but I, I think they're approximate, that if you look at the cost of transporting a barrel of crude oil by train, it's about $10. If you look at transporting that same barrel by pipeline, it's about $2. And so wow. that, that $8 difference is huge when the product itself, you know, is only selling for 40 bucks. So, so that 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 difference is the difference between making the Williston Basin produced crude oil economic in the marketplace or non-competitive. And there's been such a huge um, a decrease in production in the Williston versus some of the other big um, crude oil plays because of that, because there's inadequate pipeline takeaway capacity of uh, the Williston crude. Now the Dakota Access Pipeline that you're talking about, I believe, is slated to provide about uh, 450,000 barrels a day. Yeah, that's that's what I understand. Yeah, of uh, of takeaway. And when you think of it, uh, you know the, right now the Williston Basin is only producing about eight or nine hundred thousand barrels a day. I think they just went under a million because of the decreasing market. And so this this pipeline would actually would would actually have the capacity for carrying half, literally half, of what's being produced today. Now, I think in, in the future there's going to be a whole lot more uh, coming out of the Williston uh, when the market um, uh, rebalances, but, uh, but for now, just think of it. You've got a new uh, piece of infrastructure that can handle little, little, literally half of current production in a much, much more economical way. And so what that does is that suddenly makes Williston Oil competitive with uh, let's say uh, Texas or Oklahoma or Colorado oil, uh, so those producers uh, that uh, that are you know heavily invested up there suddenly now have access to market at economic levels that they didn't before.
1: Well, and and that makes a huge difference uh, for them and for American consumers as well. And of course, this is we're talking about American product, and uh, that the more we have of that, the less we import from somewhere else.
4: Right, exactly right. Yeah, well, and that yeah, it moves us closer to becoming a net exporter.
1: Yes, and of course, you and I met when we were working together on uh, fighting to get the oil export ban lifted, uh, which which ultimately uh, was a successful effort. So that's that's always a good thing. You bet. Now let's move in our remaining time that we have together uh, a few minutes that we have to the jobs in the supply chain because I know that that's something that in in your work uh, you really focus on. So we, we're going to have as our next guest, our last guest for the show today, uh, a woman who owns an RV park in Illinois who I found in my research, and that's why I'm, I'm having her on. And I called her, talked to her uh, in the in the process of, re- of writing my column this week. And uh, she told me about how beneficial this is, particularly to her community, that has been hard hit by the loss of manufacturing jobs and what a boost it is. And, you know, I hope that readers of my column, it's almost kind of a subliminal message, but I hope that what they see there is the the um, supply chain jobs that are created. Because, you know, in the pipeline, I mean, in the Keystone Pipeline battle, people who were opposed to it, you know, really were dismissive of the job numbers that were cited, of how many jobs would be created by the Keystone Pipeline. And so many people were like, oh, well, those are inflated numbers. Can you kind of address that?
4: Well, they're not inflated numbers, number one. Um, and they're not the only jobs at stake uh, because when you're talking – and right now, I'm in fact, I'm in uh, the Philadelphia area, and I'm about to uh, take a team in to give testimony at a uh, Philadelphia Department uh, of Environmental Protection hearing uh, this evening about uh, another pipeline that's moving through Pennsylvania. And uh, without the pipeline capacity, the producers can't c- produce. And so forget for a moment all the jobs, the construction jobs and the labor jobs are cr- that are created along the, the path of the pipeline during construction. But if you, if, if you don't have the pipeline, you can't produce. And so there's an enormous number of supply chain jobs dependent on production. So you've got to throw those jobs into the equation. Um, and that's huge because when we did the crude oil export study uh, we found that for every job on a production site there are three more jobs created around the country in the supply chain and they're not just in the oil patch they're in places like like Illinois and like uh, Michigan and Florida and New York where products and, uh, and equipment is being manufactured that ends up getting used in production so you got to consider those jobs the the the, the labor used in uh, actual construction of the of the pipeline is, is, is huge. And um the laborers union and the operators engineers and the uh the pipe fitters and the iron workers, uh most of these jobs are union and provide a tremendous employment for those folks. And you know, some sometimes you hear the opposition say, Well those aren't real jobs, they're just temporary jobs. You've heard you've probably heard that. And yeah you know nothing well, Yeah. And you know, I was on a panel with Terry O'Sullivan, who's a general president sure. of the laborers' uh, union, and Terry spoke up and he said, look, every construction job in this country is a temporary job because once the construction project is finished, they move on to the next one. So consider every job temporary, and there's, that's no different in pipelines. If there's a good background um, a volume of construction going on in pipeline work, there's always going to be the next project and the next project.
1: And that's why as our next guest is going to be, is Owens and I are RV Park, and this is important work for, for people like her. We're out of time. We've been talking with Toby Mack, who's the president and CEO of the Energy Equipment and Infrastructure Alliance. Toby, we appreciate your insights, and thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for
4: Energy. It was my pleasure, Marita, and um, I'm looking forward to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Appreciate t- keeping in touch with you. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy.
5: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. Visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today.
0: Watchdog
1: is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out, and when necessary, taking the appropriate action, from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome to our closing segment of this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and this week we've been talking about a new pipeline, a pipeline that the environmentalists have called the new keystone. But the pipeline is called the Dakota Access or the Bakken Pipeline. And it goes through four states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, and Illinois. And for our closing segment, we're going to be talking with Terry ann Guterres, who owns an RV resort area called Buena Vista Farms. And Terry ann uh, that's in Illinois, and her park is uh, filled with people who are working on this pipeline and bringing economic development to her part of the country. So Terry ann thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Yes, thank you, Marita. You know, and I found you, Terry ann because you were quoted in one of the newspaper articles that I read in preparation to write my column, and I tracked you down, which was easy to do, and you were so helpful and uh, so engaging to talk to. I feel like we've become quick friends in, in uh, dealing with this pipeline issue and uh, the economic development. So would you let our listeners know kind of where your RV park is and what a, what that community is like well
6: we're a new RV park this is only our fourth year and come to find out nobody builds RV parks they buy existing ones or maybe they put one or two it's legal in Illinois to put two spaces on your own property beyond that then you're not inspected you don't have you have uh, not inspected by the state health department. So we were luckily uh, seven miles north of the area where the pipe is all stored and all the equipment is stored. And many of the different trades need a fast location first thing in the morning before they disperse along the uh, 100 or 150 miles of pipe that's being laid. So we were in a wonderful location. The pipe yard is in kind of a small, small area of our uh, – Central Midwest Illinois, and there's really nothing much in the little town of Rigston. It has a Winchester address, but we know it as Rigston. There's a John Deere dealer and the pipe yard, about 40 acres of the pipe yard. And my campground, if you go through the country, you see nothing but corn and soybeans and a few farmhouses. I'm straight north, seven miles. So it was a lucky spot to be in at this moment.
1: Yes, and so that's brought you, your your uh, park has been full since this
6: pipeline has started construction. Right. Previous to that, um, we have only been about 20% full. We have some seasonal people that have made this, our campground their second home, and then we were available to overnight or weekend campers. Um, but we have not been very, full. Oh, it takes a while to develop your online presence so that people traveling through find you easily. And I'm thrilled to hear that you found me. That's wonderful. Um, I feel that all the pipeliners coming in and viewing me on Yelp and all the different uh, adding to my Facebook and looking at stuff on Google, those all are beneficial to my business so that next year other people traveling through can find me. Well, I hope they do give you give you a good review. It
1: looks like a lovely place on, on your website. Now, tell me about the the community. Uh, when we talked before, you told me that it's an area that has been economically hard
6: hit. Yes, we've had many industries here that have closed up. Uh, we had. Uh, Capital Records. I worked for Mobile Chemical. At the time, it was Mobile Chemical. It's changed hands. Now, it's Reynolds, and they employed about 1,000 people, and I know their numbers are way down. PMI um, was a record producer. They closed. We've had Sunday and Myers built a back room store shelving, and they closed. So, we have been really hard hit in our area, and it's become an older community. I think, kind of a retirement community. We're about 30 miles west of Springfield, the capital of Illinois, but so we do have some government work there, and some of those retirees have chosen to move to our smaller rural community. We, our population is in decline. The birth rate is in decline, of course, and so um, we're trying to invest in schools to draw new people coming into our area, but. The housing market is definitely slowed down. In my opinion, it's farming. It's corn and soybeans. That's our. That's our claim to fame. It's our green
1: ocean. As my Texas friend calls it. It's your green ocean, y'all. Yeah, the you know it's funny because I spoke for a group uh, a year or so ago called I believe it was American Agro Woman women American agri Women yeah. and. Um, they, they told me, some of them said, we have got soybeans rotting in silos because we can't get the track space for our cars because it's all being used up to transport oil. And we can't, they've got long-term contracts, and we can't get our product to market. So this pipeline uh, should be really beneficial for the agriculture industry as well.
6: Oh, yeah, I hope so. We grow a lot of corn out in our area, too, and that has shipped to ports and gone overseas, and so I think our balance of trade is is really important in an agricultural-based central Illinois Midwest community.
1: Yeah, it certainly is, and so this pipeline that's going to take about 450,000 barrels of oil a day, I believe it is, um, uh, maybe gallons, I, I should, shouldn't should have said that without having the data in front of me, but it's, my research showed that it's going to free up 750 train cars a day that are currently being used um, to to transport oil. And, yes, I've just looked at it. It's 450,000 barrels a day, not gallons a day. But that is being produced uh, that this, this pipeline will be able to carry. So tell us a little bit more about um, – you know the the volume of traffic that and therefore economic development that is coming to a region such as yours because of this pipeline activity
6: well we have john Dare distributors and and caterpillar distributors in our area and i have a friend who is the ceo of a welding supply company so all of those businesses are benefiting from the pipeline coming through but these people live full-time, many of them, in their RVs. So all of our retail stores are benefiting, and our restaurants, and, of course, the bars. Uh, yeah, of course, the bars. They're, yeah. So there are just many, many purchases. It just brings money flowing through the community. Um, I'm a little bit concerned how you manage a spike in a small business. A steady growth is much easier to manage. I'm sure. going to have bills that are due next year based on this year's income and this year's labor that I have to pay next year. So if I save the money, I'm going to pay high taxes. If I add to my infrastructure and and, uh, build the building or purchase equipment, then I have tax write-off, but then I'm going to have to borrow money to pay the the insurance and the labor bill, the workers' comp bill next year. So I'm a little bit concerned when when they leave about the vacuum that they that is left behind. So I'm I'm hoping that there will be some restoration work, you know, along the pipeline, growing back the grass. They're very very careful about the environmental impact. Um, they they have very careful about restoring the crop ground and restoring the grass and leaving our roadways in good shape. So that's another way that they are investing back in our community. Yes, and that, so hopefully that, that will help
1: you next year. You do present a, a an interesting kind of a problem with that, well, you've got this short-term boom. How do you handle that? Um, do you have any hope that your legislators are going to look at uh, some exemptions tax wise for a situation such as this.
6: Uh, Illinois legislature? No, I don't. I. <laughs> well, I don't that's think true. Thinking of it's Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, not to be too political here, but um, Illinois is a very high tax state and. Um, I just had a recent appeal for, I have park model homes, which are RVs, and they come down the road on wheels, and I use them as cabins. And um, and my, my county is charging me as though they're real property, as though they're a home and they're appreciating. And I just appealed back to the State Property Tax Board of Appeals, and it was not found in my favor. They're saying, oh, yeah, they should be taxed. Just like any garden shed would be taxed. So, so now taxation is a difficult issue, and I don't have a lot of hope that there'll be tax breaks. <laughs>
1: well, sorry about that. It's not my expertise, so I can't can't go too far on that conversation. We've just got a few my minutes doesn't... left, Terriann. Let's. You've had a lot of conversations with the pipeliners who are. Uh, staying in your resort there, your RV resort, what are some of the most interesting conversations that you've had with them uh, as the actual workers? Because I think for most of us, we don't realize that there is this kind of whole subculture of kind of
6: nomadic workers that follow the jobs. Yes, that's their full-time living. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just like construction workers who live in in a community, and and they may have periods of layoff, but they all have advocates and their unions and agents that are working to put them on the next job. So their layoffs are are shorter term, it seems to me, and they're always when one finishes, they're looking for the next job. Um, some of them, I I believe, and I I hope I'm not misstating this, some of them have skills. Driving bulldozers or road graders that may apply to other industries. So they are full time workers. They are full time jobs, um, and they many are multi generational. Uh, there's one lovely family in my campground. I believe there are 16 states uh, represented at last count. That may have changed. We have people from all over the the United States. One family, the father works on the pipeline, and the adult children, both a son and daughter, work on the pipeline, and the mom stays at home to kind of keep everybody going. Um, they've, they've really, I've really enjoyed visiting with them, and they live full-time in their RV. They've sold their home. So when we hear people talk about, oh, these are just temporary jobs,
1: they aren't really temporary jobs because, uh, well, this one pipeline is a temporary job and the economic boost to your region may be temporary for the workers. They need all of these temporary jobs to keep going.
6: Right, right. They follow the pipeline and they many say, I've done this for 30 years. I've done this for, you know, years and years and years. So so they keep going from one location to the next.
1: Wow, Interesting to hear that kind of behind-the-scenes work. Carrie ann Guterres, thanks for joining us today. We're out of time for this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy, but I hope all of you will uh, tune in next week for another interesting conversation on uh, America's Voice for Energy, heard each week on americaswebradio.com.
0: You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.